let's fast forward to 2024. The $600,000 house is now $800,000. However, there's no wage increase. There's no, there is rate increase rises and there's no government boosts. Rates have increased, wages have not, and there is no government incentives bailing everybody out. So what happens to the marketplace? Welcome to the Urban Property Investor. I'm your host, Sam Saggers, here to help you crack the code of real estate wealth. Today's show is a doozy. We're going to explore the 2021 property boom. Are people headed for a future train wreck? Can people sustain wealth after this boom? These are some critical questions I'm going to answer and direct you in the right direction as a property investor today. I tell you what, 2021, it's going to be massive. People are going to make a lot of money and really it's a once in a generational property boom we're experiencing. Every 10 years or so, something like this happens. So you definitely want to be involved. However, there are some rules to playing the game and this show is about cracking the code of some of the rules around longevity and real estate. Hey, if it's the first time that you're joining me, welcome aboard the Urban Property Investor. If you're watching from YouTube, thank you for peering in and gazing in upon me. Tell you what, I've been accused of dressing like a 20-year-old, so today I decided to put a bit of a shirt on, look more respectable. Some people say I don't dress my age, so it has affected me. I today am uh, uh, dressed a little bit nicer. Hey, I tell you what, if you've been listening in of late, you'll know that Ellie, my friend, is still for sale. If you're looking for a 30-year-old female species that's a bit of a spunk, feel free to text me. I'm happy to introduce you. We're still trying to use the show to get Ellie a date. Uh, so if you're... Uh, capable of dating a woman and you're not an ice addict, please contact me. We want to get to know you. And of course, thanks for all the well wishes regarding Hannah, my beloved dog, my best mate, which passed away uh, last week. Um, thank you so much. It means a lot to me that people took the time out of their day to share um, some love to me. I felt uh, overwhelmed and certainly your support was fantastic. Hey, guess where I'm going? I'm bucket listing. Right after this podcast, I am off to Lord Howe Island. Yes, Lord Howe Island. It's on my bucket list. David Attenborough once described it as really the Galapagos of Australia. So I tell you what, I didn't really know much about Lord Howe Island and I've got COVID to thank for booking me a holiday in Lord Howe Island. Normally, I flee overseas or to the South Pacific, but because of COVID and being stuck in New South Wales most of the time, I decided to find out what happens in New South Wales. And it turns out New South Wales has an awesome island called Lord Howe Island, which I will be ducking off to after this podcast to do some bucket listing it really does look like a great place to holiday. So I can't wait to get over there and do some diving and uh, do some bushwalking and uh, I don't know what else I'll do. Drink beer, 
I'll be happy as a clam, I tell you what. Hey, we're not here to talk about Lord Howe Island, are we? We're here to talk about the property boom in 2021 and really that it is once in a generational uh, kind of boom and we, we all need to take note. If we miss this one, really the future is going to be a long wait between this one and the next one. So we want to make the most of it. And when we think about what is driving activity, there is some interesting phenomena occurring right now in the marketplace. Typically, when growth occurs, there's kind of six market drivers that we teach, population, infrastructure, economics, supply versus demand, yield, and of course, demographics. And I think there are some big lessons as to buy well in this market and really understand some of the societal changes that this boom will create so that you can make some money but also keep that money. We don't want to get to the end of this property boom and then go into a contraction phase and actually have to give a lot of the equity that we would have made back to the marketplace because obviously things that go up do tend to come down and real estate does go through this expansion, contraction, normal process of the real estate economy. So for me, the big ones which are driving the economy at the moment is definitely demographics, uh, definitely supply and demand, and without question, uh, also infrastructure spend. It's probably fair to say the government has done a pretty good job. They've laid a lot of infrastructure spending into the residential property sector. feels like every house is being renovated as we speak around Australia, and a lot of that infrastructure spend is at a street level, keeping a lot of skilled tradies in work and really creating a bit of a trade boom, which we'll talk about when we talk about demographics as we go on. I think the supply and demand story is amazing. I mean, right now we are completely undersupplied of real estate. There's way more demand. Any given weekend at an auction, there's more people interested in the property. Uh, They're fighting it out and auction clearance rates are very, very high at the moment. People are paying over purchase price for property. And this also raises the question, are people buying well? Are people knowing what the next 30 years of this ownership of property actually looks like? Because there is a lot of FOMO right now. And FOMO is all about the day of sale, but then you own real estate. It's easy to buy real estate. It's much harder to own it. And even quite, uh, quite extra- in, in, in many circumstances, harder to sell it. So the supply and demand is all all over the shop. And it's probably fair to say the 2017 Royal Commission, APRA, removing investors from lending, uh, moving investors from the property market has really created a lag effect of just not enough stock in the marketplace, which is, of course, pushing prices up. And then we have the low cost of money, which is inflating asset values right now. Australian government, New Zealand government pumping money into the economy, more money circulating, it inflates asset values and we're really seeing the result of that. So real estate could fly up by 30% in value, but if it does, we just want to make sure we're buying the right assets that keeps that 30% value rise. 
We don't want assets that fly up in value and fly down in value because they're in the wrong spot, wrong location, or tied to the wrong part of society. And today's show, we're going to dig into that part of society, which is the most interesting layer. I tell you what, there's layers which are unfolding, which I think are important to understand inside the six market drivers, things like low rates, lack of stock, the millennials as well are moving um, hand over fist. They're leaving the rental market. They are becoming home buyers. And of course, this COVID boosting money, which has been printed and handed out as grants, is really helping much of the middle class, which we'll talk about. It's probably fair to say every market around Australia, bar a few, is rising in value. Other than places like Kalgoorlie, which is reported to be approaching the bottom of the market, fairly well, the rest of the market is rising in value. People are paying more. People feel like if they don't buy today, next week, real estate will cost more. Go to Newcastle, rising values. Go to Perth, rising values. Go to Geelong, rising values. Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane. All of these places are starting to grow, right? And this is great because property investment uh, is all about making a bit of money, but it's also about keeping that money. And I really want to have a conversation today about some of the longevity fundamentals around buying real estate in a property boom. As we know, staying out of this market is going to be extremely costly. There are real ramifications that is going to affect many people in society. If a lot of people miss this boom, particularly the lower middle class part of the market, it's probably fair to say they are going to be removed from the market altogether forever. They are extinct. They will be extinct. And the market is is virtually creating a two-tiered have and have not economy. Those that are extinct and those that are going to profit from property. And I want to talk to you a little bit about this because it is really interesting to see Australia unfold. And I guess we have to eliminate in our minds that we're just going to go out and buy real estate because we're, we're crazy for real estate right now. There is a context that we need to go through. We don't want to be crazy. We don't want to lose our minds and just buy anything. We want real estate with a real footing, a real foundation. And today I want to give you some of those foundations which are critically important for property investment. So you wake up in 25 years time with something you're going to live off income from. FOMO is thick, right? And FOMO, fear of missing out, is people betting with their head, uh, sorry, betting with their their, uh, heart, not their head, failing to plan, being enthusiastic. It's cool to be enthusiastic, but you do need a bit of a reality check. And I want to give you some reality checks. There's no point in speculating in the real estate market because it is full of hidden traps. And I've said this before, like the real estate marketplaces is not Bitcoin. It is not an instant gratification asset class. You got to buy it, then you got to rent it out, then you got to pay insurance, then you're going to have some repairs and maintenance, then you're going to have uh, vacancy, then you're going to have um, growth, then you're going to have, you know, something that's going to 
go the distance with you. And as we know, being an autonomous property investor is a really, really important thing for property ownership. So I think this marketplace has reminded me that we need to invest for the long term. And when I think about real estate over the long term, for me, it is broken down into three quadrants. Three quadrants. Quadrant one, control. Quadrant two, sustainability. Quadrant three, location. I want to talk to you about these quadrants. I'm going to start with control. You've got to control assets that weather the storm when the downturn comes. As I alluded to, it's no good just buying a property that is going to go up and uh, then, obviously, falls in value at a later date. We want to buy and understand real estate volatility. Real estate has a volatility index. Property has a volatility index. Everything has a volatility index if it's an asset. Real estate's volatility index can be broken down into subsections. The first subsection is regional, is more volatile than cities. Simple reason is if commerce is recreated in regional areas, if an industry shuts down, it has a very detrimental effect on the price of real estate. So the volatility index of smaller communities and small regional communities can be extreme. I mean, we've seen real estate drop in some cases 40% in value when a downturn comes after an upswing. And so we need to be mindful. The volatility index is just worse in regional communities than it is in city communities. Uh, city communities do go down as well, but generally you see so like a 5 or 10% drop in value. You seldom see a 40 or 50 or 60% drop in value, as has happened in Australia's history of real estate in regional communities. Volatility. On the day of sale, real estate has a volatility index. Any uh, property that goes to market the government allows a 10% volatility ratio. They actually allow real estate agents who are putting the real estate on the market who can justify the value of volatility index. It's 10%. So a $500,000 property on the day of sale could sell for four fifty. dollars That is within the volatility index. It could easily sell for five fifty. dollars That is within the volatility index. So you can see all of a sudden... Uh, as real estate, uh, as you as you decide to buy real estate, there's all these things to understand. Are you paying over the volatility? At auction today, many people are paying over the purchase price using the variation government allows to pay over the purchase price. They're paying more. So their volatility starts to become higher. Now, for the right property, that's perfectly fine. Sometimes you're better off paying a little bit more to own a classy piece of real estate. The volatility index of real estate also gets a little bit wild at the prestige end of the marketplace. However, the prestige end of the marketplace is all cash. And as we know, rich people are rich. So who really cares? If a $9 million house sells for $8 million, that's volatility. But most people at that end of the market aren't investors and not really paying in the same space we are. 
At the lower end of the marketplace, there is a lot of volatility and it's really a place of the market which I try and avoid. Where lower middle class uh, and the most vulnerable live in society, typically those areas where there is just cheap properties, there will be no future gentrification. There is no wealthier class wanting to go and live there and explain what's going on into the, into the future of this talk. Uh, they, th- that area is fundamentally um, the marketplace which now many Australians, 40% of Australians will never build wealth from. And I'll explain a little bit about that as we go. But that unskilled suburb, unskilled worker suburb, highly volatile, and in particular, in a downturn, you end up getting a lot of mortgagee sales because a lot of people who can least afford it get into the real estate marketplace and then can't afford it and get out of the real estate marketplace. So you get this kind of like seesaw effect of growth and then no growth. So from an acquisition point of view, from a buying point of view, we want to steer clear of volatility so that we can keep our growth, our 30% we might make in this boom, in our back pocket. We also have age volatility, diversification volatility, market volatility, and probably the most amazing volatility is around the middle class. And I'll talk about how to understand the Australian middle class and really what middle Australia is looking for because understanding what they're prepared to pay is a great guideline for you as a property investor because when we examine volatility or control, which is the first part of this longevity puzzle, we want to follow the masses, the depth of market. And the depth of market is the Australian middle class, right? And when I say Australian middle class, I mean what middle Australia is paying for real estate. And in some respects, middle Australia is middle, middle upper class and the wealthier class of Australia buying at a medium price real estate. So let's take, for example, uh, property in Sydney. The average price for a property in Sydney for a house is uh, 1.15 million. So the reality is that's what middle Australia is prepared to pay for a property. And as an investor, if we're buying a house, that's also what we should be prepared to pay for a property. If we go and buy much cheaper, it may sound sensible, but actually you could potentially be buying in the wrong socioeconomic zone. You're not actually in the depth of market which the middle Australia wants. You're actually buying potentially a problem and potentially a much uh, a mortgagee in possession marketplace later in the piece. So it's interesting, right? If we look at the median values across our cities, you know, Melbourne, the median price for a property is eight hundred thousand dollars. If we're not circa around that money, and we're not paying more, uh, we're probably drifting into this very cheaper part of the marketplace. And sometimes that's fine, but sometimes you need a closer look at that less expensive part of the market. In Brisbane, people are paying on average around five seventy-five for a house. That'll probably become six hundred very, very soon. So again, if we want the depth of market with the least amount of volatility, we should be buying real estate at six hundred thousand dollars in Brisbane for a house, 
not $350,000. What are you actually getting for $350,000? What are the hidden traps? And I think when we think about that, uh, there are some big ones and I'll try and explain a few as we go. Hey, I tell you what, you can make money in a rising market. Absolutely. You can make money in a counter cycle market, a market which is going down in value. You can get a great discount. You can kick the vendor. In a rising market, you just jump on the bull and go for the ride. I prefer independent marketplaces, marketplaces which in an upswing and a downturn survive, right? And independent or secular markets are something that I always coach people to buy in. Marketplaces that have good wellness, good knowledge, society, a great work and play and live lifestyle. And of course, great transportation and mobility. These suburbs tend to be very valuable in good times and bad times. It's the suburbs outside of this behavioral economy model, live, work, play, wellness, knowledge and mobility, which tend to suffer more when the market shuts up shop. The second longevity uh, principle around real estate is sustainability. Now, sustainability often is the idea around green economics, which of course it is. However, in this context, I'm using the word sustainability to talk about timeline. Sustainability means to hold something for a sustainable period of time. This is where I think a lot of the market rushes as investors to much cheaper, low-brow suburbs, which are full of inequality, which are full of people half a week away from broke, and buy real estate, which is very old. And this is kind of like a cardinal sin of the marketplace because middle Australia is not turning to this economy for their real estate needs. And quite often you'll buy real estate probably from another investor because they're disgruntled with this marketplace and there's kind of like this continuation of this um, disgruntled activity. Remember, in real estate, there are kind of four pockets of money. There's the prestige money. There's aspirational money, affordable money, and inequality money. And it's all good and well to buy something affordable, but it needs to link to aspirational. Buying something which is affordable, which is deteriorating and going into inequality Australia is going to be a future problem to you. Now, think about this. A lot of this old real estate now is, is, was born in a different era. It was born in 1975. So let's fast forward to 2045, the day you were retired. Your property which you bought in 1975 is now 70 years old. 70 years old. It may need a lot of money in restoration when it's 70 years old. Remember, you've bought the property and it's already old. By the time you want to stop work, you now have a really old cancerous piece of real estate. Very dysfunctional. It may need a new roof. It may need new plumbing. It may need new electrics. All of this is something a lot of investors with FOMO never think about because they're buying for today. They see a deal that fits their budget, that they can see, hey, I, you know, I'm getting in at a good price or whatever it may be. There's some logic that they're emotionally creating in their, in their belief system to buy that asset. 
what they fail to consider is when they're 60 years of age, how old is the asset that they're buying? When they're 60, it's very probable a lot of property investors' assets will be 100, 100 years old, 90 or 100 years old. And they're only 60. Then they've got to live off the income of that asset till they're 90. So they've got another 30 years with a property which is already 60, 70, 80, 90 years old. By the time they potentially pass that asset on to their family, that asset may be well over 120 years old. Pretty crazy to think like that, right? For me, I prefer to avoid this volatility. I love the idea that by the time I'm 60, most of my real estate is really going to be at maximum age 30 years of age. 30 years of age is not old. In fact, by the time I'm 90, age will start to appear in my real estate portfolio. I will have fundamentally designed my portfolio so later in life, I do not carry any future capital headaches into my retirement. Remember, a lot of real estate is rubbish. It's decomposing. It's dying. It's dead. It's dysfunctional. It needs to be knocked down. And I obviously teach capital costs. You know, for every 10 years, you need to factor in around $30,000 worth of capital costs to inject into your property at some point. And usually that point, you know, starts to get worse the older the property is. And of course, I think it's so important to choose the right swim lane for us as a property investor to weather the storm into the future. We don't want an asset in a degrade area which is full of repairs and maintenance that we're constantly forking out money to prop up the asset. We want a good balance of location, yield and future capital growth. Which leads us to the third longevity uh, mechanism. Remember there's three I teach. Control is volatility. You need to know real estate is, is volatile. It doesn't always go up. You need to know sustainability, your timeline and think about this, write down what year you want to retire. Could be, I don't know, 2050. How old is your real estate in 2050? Work out the maths. Then you may live another 30 years past that. Then work out the maths. Reverse engineer your sustainability logic. And of course, the final longevity piece to me is location. Location is critical to real estate. As we know, the words location, location, location do reverberate around the real estate community quite often. And quite often we think of a location as a good middle class area, a good uh, inner zone area. Um, quite often our cities are designed um, and as they are designed, there are just naturally more beautiful suburbs than, than um, you know, other suburbs which, which are not. And as we comprehend, Australia is going through a big shift in its uh, societal formation. And it's this interesting logic which I want to talk to you about. See, if real estate goes up 30%, who buys real estate after the next wave? If real estate goes up 30%, who is going to buy it after us? This is a big, big question. A big question. Probably the biggest question in Australian real estate today. What layer is left after this price wave? It's a really critical question. And for me, what will happen is our cities 
We'll have liquid real estate communities where properties are easily bought and easily sold and illiquid real estate communities where fundamentally assets are hard to actually sell off. No one or the marketplace is not interested in them. And of course, when real estate has a lack of interest, it goes down in value. And again, this is why this boom is so critical for people. They've got a choice to go through two doors, two doors, middle Australia door or inequality door. And if they make the wrong choice here, I actually think they're going to wake up in 10 years from now kicking themselves that they missed the greatest boom in real estate history and bought themselves a degrade asset, which is just going to just rotting. And uh, fundamentally, there is no resale community for that marketplace. And there's some real conversations to be had, right? Let's assume middle Australia today, as we saw in Brisbane, they're prepared to pay like $575, let us call it $600,000 for uh, a middle Australia house in Brisbane. Anything below that within reason uh, is, is potentially in the wrong spot, wrong location, wrong socioeconomic zone. That's why it's not keeping up with middle Australia. Our job as a property investor is to keep up with middle Australia. The depth of volatility with middle Australia is, uh, is fine. There isn't this big volatile marketplace there. So let's fast forward to 2024. The $600,000 house is now $800,000. However, there's no wage increase, there's no, there is rate increase rises, and there's no government boosts. Rates have increased, wages have not, and there is no government incentives bailing everybody out. So what happens to the marketplace? Well, we need to understand the changing shape of Australia. Middle Australia, and when I say middle Australia, I am talking about people who can play the wealth system. People who have enough income to buy real estate. They are fundamentally spread across three sections. Now, in Australia, our jobs market is spread over five sections. Skill level one, two, three, four, and five. And quite often when we think of Australia, we think Australia is a very equal country. However, it could not be further from the truth. And there's some great demographers uh, and great contacts. A lot of us old dogs in the real estate industry talk about this a lot because we've been around for property cycles. We've seen uh, what's happened in the past. We've seen real estate grow over 50 years. We've seen the double income real estate marketplace transform values. We've seen uh, deregulation of bankings, influence values. We've seen the mining boom. We've seen the GFC. We've lived through this ex, uh, this this uh, this transformation of price, right? And we now are at a point where real estate can only grow for around sixty percent of society. Forty percent of society, real estate will not work for. They will never buy it. They'll be tenants for life, and. Fundamentally, how Australia's workforce is shaped, many of the wealthier people will never want to buy the real estate where the cheaper real estate is. It's not like for wealthy people, they want to own that stuff. That is a myth. They want to own some of the best real estate. They'll pay more for it rather than drifting out to these cheaper communities because they're cheap. They don't care, right? This is just an investor logic. Oh, buy cheap. 
Hey, I tell you what, when we examine the workforce around Australia, there are different skill levels. Skill level one is the biggest group of workers in Australia. And those workers earn a bucket load of money. They earn on average around $280,000. We often think of Australia as this middle class uh, concept, but it's actually not. Most people in society are becoming quite wealthy, leaving the rest of society behind, right? So around sort of 25% of people, one in four, is making bucket loads of money. And I'm interested in where that one in uh, four people are actually living. When you think about this kind of highest income quartile of doctors and lawyers and architects and uh, knowledge workers and, and computer workers, they actually make 12 times more than the lowest income earner. 12 times more. In fact, middle Australia, which is, uh, you know, really skill level one, two, and three, the skill level three is the tradie, right? The tradie today is really important. And if anything, we have a skilled shortages in trades, hence why we'll probably have to pay more for the plumber to come over to the house at the moment. But really, our trade shortage is, uh, is, is fundamentally um, within really skill level two and three. So what is skill level four and five? Skill level four and five are people that don't need a tertiary or university degree. They could be a barista or a truck driver or an Uber driver or a cleaner. That marketplace and where that marketplace is is fundamentally often living, if that marketplace is centred around those people who are fundamentally in those industries, that is a very illiquid, dangerous part of the marketplace. And housing affordability is already in decline and it is on the cusp of being obliterated for skill level four and five workers. They are extinct. They are not coming into the real estate market, particularly after this boom. So think about that, right? If we think of the tradies, tradies on average are taking home around 90 grand a year. They earn three times more than the lowest quartile. That is is really stuck at the bottom of the market, probably doing part-time work because they're earning uh, nothing. Even skill level two is circa $50,000 a year um, on average earnings. Again, not enough money to play in the real estate marketplace, particularly after this next boom. So what does this all mean? Remember, I was talking about the $600,000 property, which is now going to become $800,000. Well, guess what? That's great because that's, again, this skill level one, two, three workforce, which is uh, fundamentally this middle Australia, the terminology I use, and they're going to have more money. They're going to be uh, earning more. They're going to uh, absolutely be able to afford that $800,000 property, which was once $600,000. But the myth is they're going to drift out and gentrified weirdo suburbs. They're not. They're not. Someone earning $280,000 a year is not going to go live in Lake Weirdo or Weirdo suburb at the edge of the city. 
they will just pay more for good real estate. And this is why you're going to see really the A and B real estate in our major cities do really well. And typically those cities are, those suburbs are middle or inner ring or um, uh, the outer middle ring, which are really the best places for property investors to own real estate because they mirror the stable marketplace and demographic of future economics, which is really, really what we want to do. As a property investor, we want to mirror what is happening in society and own real estate for the long term. Obviously, this boom's going to be great. Make sure you don't miss out on it. Get yourself involved in the real estate marketplace. Hey, if I can help in any way, reach out to me. I'll try and give you a hand as best as possible. But I tell you what, you've got to take some action because missing out on this one, a lot of people are going to fundamentally fail to build wealth in their entire lifetime. And if you do get into the market, make sure you are prepared to buy a decent property rather than falling victim to FOMO and ending up with something which is just going to cause your life a bit of a misery because it's mirrored to the wrong logic around how real estate works. You've got to own this stuff for a long time, so take it seriously. Hey, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening to The Urban Property Investor. Once again, I'm your host, Sam Saggers, and I am signing off and jumping on a plane to Lord Howe Island. I'll let you know uh, what it's like when I return. Thanks for tuning in to The Urban Property Investor. To never miss an episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite app or on YouTube. I would love it if you could give the show a rating and share it with your friends and family. In between episodes, you can always keep in touch with me by connecting on social media over Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Until we meet again on the next episode of The Urban Property Investor, take care and bye for now.